that our tools give us that feedback that creates more core stability. And remember what I talked about with stability, the right muscles firing at the right time. And when the core stabilizes like that, there tends to be mobility because of that stability. That mobility that you receive in the shoulders and the hips actually comes from stability. And that stability comes from your hands and your feet. I mean, that's, that's right there. That's, that's where things start happening. But with us, I mean, we just say pull the handles apart. Cheesy intro line in three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Fitness Line Down Podcast, where I'm your host and owner extraordinaire, Corey Kripe. All right, so I know a lot of you are tuning in for one special reason, and that is the follow-up review of the Pearl Jam concert. Well, I've got a lot to tell you, and I don't have a lot of time to talk about it. But I will say it was phenomenal. Um, I honestly knew it was going to be a great time. I thought maybe that this would be like kind of my last one. This is, as I mentioned in the last podcast, this is the third time I've seen them in my life. And I just thought, you know, one more time, guys are getting a little old, who knows? At least I could say I went out with a bang. But I tell you what, after that performance, and after that much energy, and it was just such a such an experience, I, I can't put my finger on the exact word to use. I'm really excited for the next concert. I hope they come up with one next year or the year after because I'm signing up for that. Um, and let's say I had the, the three predictions, right? I was looking into the future and I said I wanted them to play three songs. And if I remember correctly, those songs were Black from the 10 album, Rearview Mirror from Versus, and Breaker Fall from Binaural. Okay. Shooting 33%, I got black, which, as I mentioned before, is my all-time favorite Pearl Jam song. So really happy to hear that. But I will say, I heard that song in 2000 as well. Now, I'm not, maybe 2003. I'd have to check that playlist, that, that set list. But I do remember specifically in 2000 because, again, it was my favorite song. Still, had, still was back then. So when they played it, I just kind of went nuts. I'm like, whoa, it's my song. I can't believe they're playing it. Um, so it didn't get rearview mirror, but it has some great songs from the um, Versus album. Go was a very memorable one. And then Elderly Woman Behind the Counter in a Small Town. That was another one from Versus. Binaural, actually, we didn't get Breaker Fall, but we got Insignificance, which was, I mean, that's another great song for me. Honestly, that Binaural album, that came out in, I think, 2000, 99, 2000. Pretty sure it was 2000. And it's one of those where I can just go from track one to the last track without skipping any songs. For me, one of the best Pearl Jam albums out there. But again, here we are. I mean, you got guys that are close to 60 years old still putting on a heck of a show. And I'll, I'll admit that when I saw them 20 years ago, it was a great show as well. But I mean, they even sounded better. Like it just, it, it did, I don't know, there's something about it. It just sounded great, amazing. Definitely loved it. Um, we had a Tom Petty cover of Wildflowers, or Wildflowers, and so that was pretty uh, touching, I guess you could say. Vetter was there with his a guitar, just singing it along with his guitar. Um, it was insanely packed, uh, which was good to see. 
very grateful for my brother-in-law to drive me all the way down. And anybody that's not familiar with the Minnesota State Fair, that was going on at the same time. And this state fair is like nationally huge. I, it draws in so many people. And the traffic to get down there, what would have been like a 25, 30-minute drive ended up being like over an hour to get there. So grateful he drove me down there. And equally as grateful that he picked me up afterwards to bring me back home. So it wasn't as trafficy on the way back home, but it was a great experience. So shooting 33% felt pretty good about that. And I'll just have to go to another show to see those other songs. All right, moving forward, let's, let's, uh, let's delve into a few things. All right, so my son is in eighth grade and is playing eighth grade football. I'm proud of the little dude and, you know, he's, he's learning things. I love it. Life lessons, not just football lessons. There's actually the coaching staff are some great role models for the young boys, uh, young men. <laughs> I don't know where's that cutoff line between where you start saying boys or men, young men. I don't know. Uh, but it's just I'm excited for his year. So, of course, we uh, get the email that there's going to be lifting opportunities for the, for the young gentleman uh, twice a week to go to the weight room and lift weights for football. And it's kind of like, yeah, not my kid, you're not. <laughs> I, I emailed the coach. I don't even know if he knows who I am, like, like I'm some superstar or knows what I do. But I just emailed him. I said, listen, coach, I own a gym in lacrosse. I will be taking care of Oliver's strength training twice a week. So, and I know, you know, as I, as I talk about this, I know that there's that camaraderie too, right? That you're, you're with the boys, you're with the, you're with the guys, you're playing football, you're on the field, you're practicing, you're playing together. That the weightlifting, especially in the football culture, I just remember this growing up, that it, it, it gels more. You know, there's more adhesion to the team because you're also training together in the weight room. And I appreciate that. But I'll be honest, I didn't work out with my football team. When I was in high school, I trained with my stepfather. Like, and I don't know if I want to say trained. I worked out. Like, I, I lifted weights. And so we would spend time, like, I don't know what I did. I don't remember what I did during the football season, per se. I might have done two or three days a week of going in and kind of lifting moderate, you know, nothing heavy, nothing crazy, just kind of keeping it going. But I didn't, you know, during the off season, I, you know, that's what I did is I played football and I, I worked out. Now, anybody that might have heard any of my earlier podcasts, you know that there was one spring um, where I was in my junior year and I went out for track for two years or for two years. <laughs> I went out for track for two weeks because of a girl and wasn't a big fan of track. So I went back to the weight room for the weight room, but because there was a girl there too. <laughs> so I felt like I made the better of the two choices by going back to the weight room. But I never really, never worked out with the guys. I always kind of worked out by myself with my stepfather, and it was always a great time. And so with Oliver, I, you know, we already have a very close relationship, but I think that this will help even bring us closer together is if I get to train him and get him ready. And of course, it's like a, it's a no-brainer because of what we do here with the DVRT system. Anybody that's been following this podcast can appreciate the movements that we do the movement-based training, the functionality, the purpose of what we do and how everything is in all three planes of motion. And that can only help the athletes. So I'm excited for Oliver to 
and you know, he's dabbled. We've done some training like during the summer, he gets on this kick where he's like, Hey, can you, you know, can we work out together? Can you train me? You know, can you give me a program to do? And so I go down there and I take him through his workout, you know, you know, 20 minutes, maybe 30, depending on, and yeah, I take him through some circuits. We get some stuff done. But the one thing I've also learned, especially with the youth is not to force them to do this. I feel like if you force them to to start working out and you make it more regimented, like the earlier do this, it might have some negative repercussions down the road. There might not be as much thrill into the workouts. And we know, I mean, it doesn't matter. There's days where you feel like working out. There's days that you don't. But it's that point where it's like, you know, I've been working out forever. It's like blah, blah, blah. And I'm tired of doing it. So, and I, again, I like I don't want to force this upon the youth. I want them to continue to play. I think playing, setting up games between them and their friends, different things like this, that's going to have so much more benefit with their movement training, with their skills, the hand-eye coordination, the, the imagination, the building up of things. It's just there's so much more benefit to play than organized weightlifting. But I think you get to the point where it's, it's time to do this. And the other funny thing I always laugh about is when I started exercising, when I started working out with weights, you know, I started improving in my physique. But was it because of the weights or was it because of the hormones, because of that period of my life where like testosterone is just running high? No, it could be a combination of both. But, you know, it's still like I don't want Oliver to be in a traditional weight room learning things that are going to be counterproductive. I don't want him to fall into bad habits. Now, fortunately for me, you know, the people that were in charge of my working out, namely my stepfather and myself, I mean, like I was a student back then of this. I was, as much as I could, studying this through bodybuilding magazines, asking questions in the gym. I mean, before social media existed, this is what we did, is we asked questions. You know, who's the biggest guy in the room? Let's talk to him. And I remember there was one guy in the weight room he went to school like in Missouri, Missouri State, somewhere like this. And the guy was enormous. I mean, he was just like, you could tell he was a collegiate football player. And you didn't want to be on the other side of the line with him. But you, I just talked to him like, hey, what, what is it that you're doing? <laughs> you know, what works for you? What should I be doing? What's your suggestions? I mean, you just, and the great thing was, it was such an environment where you weren't, you weren't bothering. Like they wanted to help you out. They wanted to tell you what they knew. What were they getting from the college? Because you look at the college setting, like their strength coaches must know what they're doing. Now, I don't want to poo-poo anybody at, in the high school level that's in the weight room. You're, you're probably volunteering. You're probably volunteering during times that are not convenient for you. And it's because of your, your love for the sports, your love for getting better. And you understand if you're volunteering Maybe you're getting paid, but you understand that this helps. Working out helps the sports performance. Weightlifting, whatever you want to call it, that helps. But you don't know. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think anybody in the, especially in the lacrosse area, maybe if we go to bigger cities and they have a specialized strength coach, I don't think you know. Now, I do believe, okay, so I, I got to backtrack a little bit because I do think that the school that my kid goes to, I think they actually outsource this to another like sports performance gym here in the area. And I know actually I was pretty impressed because I saw on Facebook one time the football players, the high school football players were having 
test day. So, you know, what, how much weight could you lift for? Maybe, I don't know if it was a one rep max, maybe a three rep max. Sometimes we move to how many, how much weight can you lift in three reps? And then we can estimate your one rep. Like what could you do in, what could you do for one rep based on how many you did for three reps? And we move to the three reps because it's not, it's not all out. The chance of injury is less than if you try to do the one rep. So you lower the weight a little bit. Okay. Well, barbell back squat. So typically when you do a test day in football, it's the barbell back squat for sure, a bench press. Maybe it's a power clean. Maybe it's a straight up deadlift. You know, I don't know which the hip hinge is. So the barbell squat though, the barbell back squat, what I saw them do on test day is that they had the, the athletes doing a front squat. And I was very impressed with that. I was very happy with this because there's so much more advantage of doing a front squat and the risk versus reward in regards to injury. Because when you have the barbell in that front position, so the front position for the barbell is quite different than a front-loaded holding position for the ultimate sandbag. There are some limiting factors. You know, you need proper wrist mobility to hold the barbell in that front position. But then the other limiting factor is your core. You can actually do a barbell back squat and not get as much core engagement, you know, core recruitment as as you need in a front squat. And so that's why I think it's neat because the chances of injury from a front squat to a back squat are next to none. You know, if you're about to get injured doing a front squat, you have to drop the weight. Like you cannot perform the repetition because your core just isn't able to stay strong enough for that that demand. So I was, I was impressed. I was very impressed by that. However, it's my son. I have my methodology. I have my philosophy when it comes to uh, strength training. So he'll be under my tutelage. And yeah, we're committed twice a week because that's what they're doing for the middle school. We'll do twice a week and we're going to have him. I got to say, it's going to be a lot better for him in so many ways because that DVRT and, you know, we have, we have an athlete that was here over the summer, high school, actually two high school athletes, sisters. And it was, it's really fun to listen to the mom because the mom, the school that they go to is, was under construction or the road was under construction in front of them. So they couldn't have the weight room open because the roads were closed. So again, they outsourced to another gym that had kind of like sports performance training. And the mom's a client here. And she asked me one day, she's like, do you guys do like sports training for athletes? And I said, yes and no, no and yes. You know, I mean, we don't have any athletes because that's not really our, it's not our demographic. It's not who we're, we're not going after high school athletes here. But do we have the capability? Absolutely. Do I have the understanding and know-how? For sure. And so she's like, well, it only makes sense that I bring my girls here now um, instead of driving an extra whatever and who knows what they're going to do with them with weight. You know, she, we have her drinking the Kool-Aid, right? We're not saying anything negative like necessarily bad about barbell training, but is it for the youth? Should the youth be doing barbell stuff when there's such better tools out there that's going to have them more prepared, that's going to have them more adaptable to the demands of their sport rather than barbell training and trying to lift as much weight as you can. So yeah, we had the two girls and uh, we had an eighth grader and a sophomore, a high school, pretty sure a sophomore. And, um, like, yeah, we're going to actually continue on with the sophomore because she's not doing anything for the fall. Uh, the other girl will be doing something for the fall. So she's going to be too busy. And I totally understand that. 
But it was like the eighth grader wanted to continue on. It's just the schedule's not going to happen. So it's cool that she definitely wanted to. And if I remember correctly, the sophomore wasn't too keen about doing this. But after spending the summer with us, like she was excited. She wanted to keep doing this. It was her decision. And her mom was more than happy to do this because like their moods were so much better, she said. Like every time they left the gym here, they were so much happier, nicer, <laughs> you know? And so again, FLD, man, it works for everybody, right? And we're not just a gym for bodies, but we're a gym for emotions, psyches, all this stuff, like how much we improve. So going off on that tangent, I do think it's very important for the youth to start working out with weights, to start strength training. But again, I don't think the barbell is going to be the place to go. I don't think trying to get the youth to lift as much weight as they can possibly in the one plane of motion will benefit them. And I don't think this comes as a surprise to any of our seasoned listeners. Like you're like, oh my goodness, this is a whole new thing for Corey to say. No, it should make sense. And the fundamentals of patterns, right? Like, I don't want to say, I don't like to use the word correct form, as everybody knows. I don't believe in correct form. I believe in intentional form. And even today, it's funny that I'm talking about this now. Uh, somebody was talking about their form. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about your form. That sounds too elementary. I want to talk about your body's orientation and space. <laughs> now I sound smarter. No matter how much I look at, not look at, I sound smarter. But nonetheless, correct form is only going to get you so far. And it's not going to get you far enough. You have to have intentional form. So when we're talking about like, I just remember... And again, I don't know if this is still happening, but when I was learning proper movement, proper form, if you will, and correct form, we always started with body weight. Could you do body weight squats? And that was like the prerequisite. Could you do a body weight squat in order to do a barbell back squat? Could you do a standard push up before you did a bench press? And I remember having to go through that, and I demonstrated pretty well. The body weight or the body weight squat, and I think a lot of a lot of youth does uh, pre-adolescent and post ad you know during adolescent. <laughs> don't know all the you know I'm not a um, a pediatrician uh, you know it's just uh, but anyway. However, I've seen and I've physically seen um, young people, boys and girls, males and females, that show a pretty stellar body weight squat, and then as soon as you put a bar on their back. It goes to it goes to heck. <laughs> you know, we're trying to keep this uh, PG. The squat just deteriorates, and why is that? Because they weren't ready for that. Putting a bar in your back can really change a lot of things, and it it's, makes the squat more unnatural. I mean, I hate to say it because I was such an advocate for barbell back squats for so long, but it really does. It it changes everything. So that's, again, why I love so much the DVRT system and the principles is because the bag, when you use an ultimate sandbag, when you use kettlebells, when you use these more functional training tools, you can use them for your advantage as feedback. So all of a sudden, if you got somebody that's doing a pretty decent bodyweight squat, but you want to load it a little bit more, you move into press-out squats. And that's a great way to make that happen. Once the press-out squats become a little, quote-unquote, easy, and they can manage their body better, and you can see that under load, they're doing well, then we move to a goblet squat. We take a kettlebell that's of sizable weight. You know, I think a lot of people make the mistake of having too light of a kettlebell. 
you know, because it's, we want them to learn the form. Again, using the weight as feedback. If it's too light, they're not going to be able to receive much feedback from that. But if you give them a heavy enough kettlebell, now you don't want it to be too much input where they struggle to hold the bell. While, while they're exercising, you see the arms just start getting tired and the bell starts dropping. That's too much. It should be enough that they really have to squeeze tight on the, on the handles to keep that bell secure because the more they squeeze on those handles, the better the core response. All right. And then we move to a bear hug. So you get a sizable bag on them. They're hugging the bag as they squat up and down, getting more load on them, but still keeping them in the realm of strength training, right? I mean, and, and keeping that intentional form, really teaching them how to use their feet, how to use their hands, and how much more that's going to help them with their strength. Because in sports, you need to use your feet and hands. And the thing is, sports happens fast. So you can't be thinking about what your hands and feet are doing. But on the training floor, when you're in a more controlled environment, you can spend time training your hands and your feet. And then when you're out, out, when you're out, out, when you're out now on the court, on the field, wherever you're playing, there's more of a, an automatic response because of how you've been training with the intention of your hands and feet. It's a really cool thing. So that's, that's where I fall with this is we don't want to we don't want to have the youth just doing body weight because body weight's actually more challenging because you don't have that feedback mechanism. You don't have that ability to know where you are in space. So sometimes people will do a body weight something and they're just all over the board but yet they're getting it done. But we don't want to go on the other end of the spectrum where we're putting unnecessary load on a on a body. And I do believe you again if you're a seasoned uh, listener of this program, you know that this isn't coming out of left field. Putting a barbell on somebody's back is going to not help the spine. You know, I've, I lifted for so long with a barbell on my back. Fortunately, I was doing it properly and I was young enough to stop. But there's a compression that happens. And I'm pretty sure it happened to me. I just don't know it yet. But there's a compression that happens on the vertebrae because of the load on your back, especially as you start really putting some sizable weight up there. So we want to be careful with this. So the youth, there's no reason. As I've said before, the only people that deserve to have a barbell on their back are those people that are competing for barbell back squats. That's their sport. That's, they're, the, they're a barbell back squat athlete. Other athletes, they don't need that. They, they don't at all. <laughs> so, and then I think about two. When it gets to be stability and balance. Now, those two things are not interchangeable. Stability is one thing. Balance is another. Stability is your ability to fire the muscles properly. And this doesn't come because you're thinking about it. You don't, you don't tell which muscles to fire. It's very neural. But how you train can really help that stability, that motor control. And all this stuff, especially turned in with the brain, you know, that, that big word that I want to use, prepare yourself, is going to be neural plasticity. So using the brain now, now that we're making the patterns and the brain's recognizing these patterns and there's more of a, more of a tuning in of how much more on the training floor that that's going to help when it comes to your sport. So as we're, as we're doing power cleans, maybe we're doing lateral power cleans. Maybe we're doing lateral lunges as we're exploring that frontal plane and we're putting the ultimate sandbag on the shoulder. So now we're even increasing the demand. As we're learning that pattern, and we're getting efficient in that pattern. 
how much more that's going to help on the field with the motor control because the correct muscles are firing at the right time. Think about your car. When you turn the key, if it misses, that's not motor control. As soon as you turn that key and you just hear that motor start humming and that, that turned quickly, that's a high-firing machine. You want your muscles to be high-firing. So all of a sudden now you become more efficient in the, on the training floor, moving to these different planes of motion. Well, the chances of your injury is going to be less because of what you did on the floor when you make that cut. Because you've created that stability. We've been working with the slings, integrating everything. It's, it's really exciting. And you know, I notice how I said your injury is going to be less. I cannot ever, ever guarantee, even for our just, I shouldn't say just, our general population, injuries are going to happen. I finally accepted that. <laughs> it's that no matter how hard we train people in the gym, they are resilient, but they're not invincible. Very different. Being resilient, you can bounce back quicker. I feel like my ankle injury. I was very resilient because of the training that I did prior and then the training that I did afterwards. I was able to bounce back so much quicker than if I wasn't doing that. But I'm not, I wasn't invincible. That cat got me. <laughs> I hate to say it, but that cat got me that night. So on the, on, the, on the field of play, the court, wherever you're at, you're not invincible. But you're going to be a little more resilient. Your chances of injury are going to be a little less, especially in the non-contact realm. I can't help it if you get blown up by a play and somebody tackles the heck out of you and, you know, busts you up. That's contact. It's going to happen. I do remember my stepfather always said, football is not a contact sport. It's an impact sport. And so your body, you know, if you're going to be in a position where you're going to be receiving some contact, some impact, you have to be ready to absorb it. And your body needs to be trained well. And I just keep going around this bush here, and I want to stop doing it because I feel like the dog is chasing the tail with everybody out here. So, you know, short story, really long. Son's going to train with me. I'm going to let you know how this goes. I don't expect much during the season because we're not going to be reaching for any, like, PRs or anything like this. We're just going to keep them moving well, keep the, keep the muscle tone going, keep that strength um, on par to where he needs to be. Last thing on the list to talk about. Mobility. Now, I know you're thinking, Corey, you just, you spent like over an hour talking about mobility with Josh a few weeks ago. What else you got to say? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a question you don't want to ask because I could say a lot. But what I want to talk about with mobility is, yes, Josh and I, a couple weeks ago, you can go back to it. It was a wonderful podcast. He's got great insight as always. I'm not going to say anything that's going to diminish what we said. Hopefully what I say actually adds to it because I was thinking about recently. Some people coming in, um, clients, whatnot, and they're saying, I need, I need more mobility exercises. And I don't know if that's actually true, and, but it can be. So here's, here's my train of thought on this. Is why, why are people asking for mobility exercises? And I know for some people, mobility training, as we talked about, is kind of like this fad thing. Like, what is actually mobility training? But they see people on social media like specializing in mobility. You've got to do all these different mobility things so you have better hips, better shoulders, better knees, better ankles, better this. You know, your life will dramatically improve if you do mobility training. So does that mean that we have to cut time out of our session and dedicate it strictly to the mobility? I want to say no. And a lot of this is what I was talking about earlier, like with barbells versus what we do with DVRT. I do believe if you are a power lifter, 
and you're competing to lift a lot of weight, you probably need some days that are going to be more mobility driven because you're just dealing with pure raw strength. And that strength, it tends to have some compensations with it as well. And the one reason I talk about the compensations is you don't, your implement doesn't give you a lot of feedback. Now, for those that are competing, that are actual athletes, they know how to use the bar to get as much feedback as they can. But it is still limited versus what we use with the Ultimate Sandbag or the Kettlebells. That our tools give us that feedback that creates more core stability. And remember what I talked about with stability. The right muscles firing at the right time. And when the core stabilizes like that, there tends to be mobility because of that stability. That mobility that you receive in the shoulders and the hips actually comes from stability. And that stability comes from your hands and your feet. I mean, that's, that's right there. That's, that's where things start happening. So if you get somebody that's just like a gym goer, likes to go to the gym and work out, they want to they wanna get the best bench press, back squat, deadlift, they might not have that intention. Because if you talk to a barbell athlete, they know that when it comes to like a deadlift, a back squat, a bench press, they have the cue of bending the bar. That bending the bar is them trying to get the lats engaged. So whether the bar is on the ground for the deadlift, whether the bar is in a rack for a bench press, whether it's being ready to squat on your back, you're purposely trying to bend the bar to create more, more recruitment through the lats to get more core stability. But with us, I mean, we just say pull the handles apart. You got the ultimate sandbag, pull the handles apart. Pull the bag into your body. Like all this stuff gives you even better feedback. And it's not so hard on the body. You know, barbells, as I talked about, on your back can be hard on your body. Lifting as much weight as you can. Like, is this really necessary? Now, nobody in this gym is going all out trying to lift as much weight as they can all the time. It feels like sometimes the regular gym goers, it's almost like every day is beast mode day. Getting back to my original point is the competitive power lifters, those people that are trying to lift as much weight as they can, they probably could benefit from some soft tissue work, some mobility days, because they got to keep their bodies as healthy as possible because they're really stressing it out. They're really, they're putting a lot of pressure on their bodies, lifting as much weight as they can. So they probably benefit of that if they want, if they're looking at the long game. Okay. But for the, for the gym goer, the, the general population that isn't really too, that shouldn't be concerned, I should say, about lifting as much weight as they can. Well, all of a sudden, mobility can be actually added and included into your strength training session if you know how. You don't have to dedicate a ridiculous amount of time before your session on warm-ups that you actually despise. <laughs> There's so many times where people are just like, I don't want to do my warm-ups, I just want to get right to the workout because the warm-ups are a waste of my time. Well, if you have that mindset, then you probably should just go right to your workout because you are wasting your time. But if you were able to get some good movement drills, those restoration exercises we like to call it in DVRT, well, now you're, you're going to feel like you're not wasting your time. And the other thing is, is that you don't, have, you don't need a lot of time to waste. I will be honest. Before my sessions, for the most part, I do some hip bridges with a little lift and chop action. I do some dead bugs with some lift and chops. I do some side planks. I do a side plank on the other side. I do some around the worlds. I do a little bit of like ankle mobility thing, hip mobility with the ultimate sandbag. And that's it. 
I start training after that. I feel pretty good about it. Now, as I was kind of thinking about earlier today, is a lot of people out there are not me. And thank goodness for it. But I get to have, I get to be working in the trenches a lot of times during the day. And I get to be moving a lot of times during the day. And not over repetitive movement. Meaning I'm not turning to one side the whole time. I'm doing total body things. I'm getting up and down off the ground. A lot of, a lot of movement in my day. So I always feel pretty mobile. So I don't know if this, and here's a case in point. Yesterday's session, I got really, I got really sore from that session. I don't know what happened, but the gluteal feel was real. And this morning, I just knew. I'm like, I can't wait to go um, to coach because I'm going to be able to work this out by moving around because that really helps out. A lot of people, they go into a session and maybe they get sore. And I'm not talking about that ridiculous soreness, but maybe they get some of that soreness. And then the next day they go to the office and they sit all day long. That sitting is not going to help. You need to move. You need to, you need to keep that going in order to help that, that soreness disappear. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful that my job, I get to be moving as much as I do. Now, to be honest, I do sit more than I used to. So maybe there's like a little healthy blend. Um, but for the, for the normal person <laughs> that's not abnormal like me, maybe you don't have those opportunities to move as much during your day because you're seated at a desk. Maybe you're standing for long periods of time. And I do tell people, as much as this might be hard to like think about, standing for long periods of time could be just as de- detrimental as sitting for long periods of time. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but you, you come up into compensations just like you would when you sit. The only problem is that when you're sitting, there's that false sense of stability. So your, your brain starts turning off certain muscles because they don't need it. The body's very efficient. So if the brain's like, hey, we're not going to be using the core because we got this chair to stabilize us. Let's just dim the lights on the core muscles. And by dimming those lights, well, now all of a sudden, they kind of stay dim for a long period of time, not needed. But when they're needed and called upon, it's kind of hard to switch that, switch that light back on quickly. So it's good to have that movement. Now, it doesn't take a lot either. And I'll be honest, like if you're listening to this and you don't have an ultimate sandbag at home, you should get one. Because throughout your day, like whether it's in the morning before you go to work, whether it's in the evening before you go to bed, whether it's like if you like to go running, you should do some restoration exercises before you go running. If you like to just walk, do some restoration exercises before you go on a walk. All this stuff is just movement flossing. That's what it is. And if you don't have the opportunity to be moving throughout the whole day, this is a great way to kind of combat some of that stiffness, some of that tightness, some of that stuff that you believe like, oh, I, I need more mobility training in my, my strength training session. I'm going to tell you what, if you're coming here, your mobility work is added into. Why? Because even if you're lifting a heavy load, if you're doing it with the intention and you've got your hands and feet primed up, ready to go, engaged with the piece of equipment. You're gripping the ground with your feet. You're pulling apart the handles. No matter how heavy the load is, you're going to actually receive mobility because of that intention. I think a lot of people, as they want to lift heavy weights, they kind of rely on the task of like, okay, I just got to squat this heavy weight. They're not thinking about the intention of how they're going to squat that heavy weight. So they can kind of actually, using the light image, Barbell back squat, let's use that example again. I seem to be picking on it a lot. 
is by just trying to th- do the task of standing up with a heavy bar on their back, their body's going to start compensating a little bit to make that happen. And that compensation is coming because they're not using their hands and feet well enough. They're not creating that motor control as, as a means of core stability. So that's why if somebody's working on like a heavy day and they're feeling a little bit more tight in the hips, it could be because they're not really focused on that intention. Now, don't get me wrong. Yesterday was kind of a heavy day for me. I, I don't know if I was tight in the hips per se. I just had muscle soreness. But I was able to work it out through movement. And even though the weight that I was using was heavy, once again, it was the intention. It was me creating that core stability because I was really focused on what was going on with my hands and feet. Right there, I truly believe that sets the stage. But we have to have that honest conversation. Maybe you're lifting heavy weights here at Fitness Line Down. Maybe you're at another DVRT gym. You're lifting heavy weights. You're like, oh, my hips are still tight. Well, how many times a week are you actually going to the gym? Because I forget how many minutes there are in a week. But my question is, if I see you for maybe 120, 180 minutes in a week, there's still a lot of time in the week that can actually add to that, the tight hips. Like, what is it that you're doing throughout all the other minutes that's combating that? You're coming to me for the strength. I'm giving you the strength. I'm also giving you the mobility. I'm giving you a stability. I'm giving you a lot of that stuff. But it's like for two to three hours a week. So that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're, if you're at home and you've got sandbags at home, use them. Use them once a day. It's like flossing your teeth, brushing your teeth twice a day if you're brushing. Do some of those movements. And we're not asking for like a full 60-minute session of it. Maybe 10 minutes. Now, I think about our group training. I will be honest, like our group training does have a pretty extensive warm-up. But that warm-up, it only lasts less than nine minutes. I think it's like a little bit over eight minutes. And there's like 13 exercises. I think there's 13, 13 rounds, I should say, of movement that uses the ultimate sandbag. And I tell you what, it is very overall like effective. We're working dead bugs, we're working hip bridges, we're working side planks, we're working arc presses, press out squats, good mornings. You know, we're just doing a lot of restoration things with the ultimate sandbag as the feedback because that's gonna help improve your mobility before the session, which is a great thing. Unlike static stretching, you're just kind of reaching for your toes, you're doing some arm circles here or there. Everything is without the core. You grab out of that ultimate sandbag, you know where I'm going with this. As soon as you grip onto the, that ultimate, as soon as you grip onto that ultimate sandbag and you pull it apart. I mean, I'm just doing this with like my airbag right now, and I just felt my lats engage. I can feel things tightening up a little bit more. That that stiffness, that core stiffness that you need to help with your mobility. I mean, that's that's my two cents on that. So. Be careful. Don't fall into the trap of mobility for the sake of mobility. Just because somebody says, are your hips tight? Like, what is tightness? I mean, I've seen some people tell me that their hips are tight. And then they they come here and they do a squat. And it's like, your hips are not tight. Tight. (laughs) Your hips are not tight. I've seen people with tight hips try to squat. And they can't reach the depth that you've got right now. And so it's just, I don't know. There's just a lot of things that go on with mobility. If you are struggling with tightness... You should be doing something every day. You should be doing some dedicated movement. I don't want to call it, I don't want to call it stretching. I don't necessarily want to call it mobility work because I don't even know what that really means. 
but you should be doing some movement training, working on some of those restoration drills. Because that right there is gonna get that core stabilized. Because if you're just stretching for the sake of stretching, if you're just doing mobility for the sake of mobility, because somebody could do like arm circles, somebody could do hip circles, hip swings, they have some of those popular things from way back that need to be totally forgotten. Period. They don't need to be there anymore. Arm circles, a waste of your time. Hip circles, hip swings, a waste of your time. But people look at that and be like, well, it must be working on your mobility because you're working on your range of motion because the more that you move your arm around, that's got to be warming up that joint. And the joint as it warms up is going to be improving, increasing in that range of motion, which is going to then in turn make your mobility better. Hogwash. That's what I say. Hogwash. You've got to keep that core centered when we're doing mobility work, and I'm using my air quotes, mobility work. Do movement work. Do movement-based training, and you're gonna see that. If you have any questions about this, like with the Ultimate Sandbag, I will help you. If you don't have an Ultimate Sandbag and you're wondering about things, I'll help you. I like to help people, that's what I do. So, I think I blabbered on long enough. We started with Pearl Jam, I think we got into my son's football uh, strength training, which just went on forever. And then this mobility that I, again, just trying to add a little bit more. That mobility, when done properly, should be already included in your strength training program. Boom. Mic drop. Call that good. All right. Until the next time, dear friends, Godspeed.